Skin and Sass, the podcast talking all things skin to the side of sass. Proudly brought to you by KGA Body. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode seven of Skin and Sass. I'm Andy Paulson, and I have with me the beautiful Mrs. Kelly George. Say hi, Kelly. Hey, guys. Hello. And episode seven, Dial a Derm. So this is following on from last week where Kelly and I talked about skin SOS, but what we're focusing on today is those issues that maybe once they get a bit more serious and we need to see that specialist. So we have with us, we're very fortunate to have with us um, a lovely dermatologist, Dr. Shreya Andrick, who is an experienced Sydney-based dermatologist from Northern Sydney Dermatology and Laser. Her special interest areas include skin cancer management, paediatric dermatology, female genital dermatology, and of course, general dermatology. Most of all, she's supported me through some really difficult times over the last 12 months where she has removed two melanomas. Um, So I guess, you know, she's very intimately aware of my skin and my history, but I think that she is the perfect person to speak to on all things uh, Skin SOS. And we have with us the beautiful Dr. Shreya Andrick. Thank you so much for joining us, Shreya. Hello. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited because... (laughs) Not only are you an amazing dermatologist, but you're also my dermatologist. Yeah. So, you know, I feel like I know you to a certain extent. And she I knows you very know well. From the number of, <laughs> yes, from the number of skin checks you've done. <laughs> yes, um, I do. <laughs> oh, my God. So thank you so much for joining us. I just can't wait for you to share some of your knowledge on skin. In fact, you're actually our very first dermatologist. So thank you for joining us. Very, very exciting. But I want to get straight into something super, super important. So sun exposure and vitamin D. So in last week's episode, I told everyone a little story about how I went to my GP and she told me that I was vitamin D deficient. And at first I was like kind of pretty proud of it because it was like, well, obviously I wear sunscreen and I do all the right things. But then she kind of got a bit like, no, you don't really understand what I'm saying, Kelly. And she then went on, and I love my GP, please, I I do love her, but then she kind of went on to say, no, you need some exposure, you need it on your face, you need it on your hands, and I then went and did a whole heap of research and kind of found a lot of conflicting information, which I shared with our listeners in last week's episode, but, you know, I guess as a dermatologist, can you please give our listeners the lowdown? Like, do you agree that it has to be your face and your hands? Do we really need to go out without sunscreen on? You know, can we absorb it with some sunscreen on? And that's what the studies, I think, suggest. But do you agree with that? So I guess um, for most people, kind of adequate vitamin D levels are reached through regular incidental exposure to the sun. So when the UV index is more than three, then most people maintain adequate vitamin D levels by spending just a few minutes outdoors on most days of the week. So I kind of tell people that you basically only need 10 minutes of natural sunlight and then your vitamin D absorption is kind of maxed out. So you can't really go beyond that. Right, so you can't actually absorb too much anyway. Exactly, that's right, yeah. Doesn't need to be on your face. Can be your arms or legs or your hands. Um, I... I always prefer for people to wear sunscreen on the face daily, rain, rain, hell or shine. Um, That being said, if the UV index is less than three, then it's technically okay to spend a bit of time outdoors in the middle of the day with some skin uncovered. Um, But, you know, I 
being dark skinned myself mm-hmm. and being a bit vain, I wear sunscreen every single day and I take a vitamin D supplement as well. So um, for me, I have no issues taking a tablet every day. And um, I just think that, like, I know that there are many benefits to vitamin D. You know, it helps with the immune system and all of that. Um, During COVID, they found that people who have had higher vitamin D levels are those who are less likely to get, you know, catch coronavirus. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, so I would just rather take a tablet, to be honest. Yeah, and I think the whole, like, balancing the anti-aging and even the melanoma and the risk of sun cancer with just taking a tablet. And, I mean, I'm crazy with my sunscreen I do wear kind of three types on my face but I don't wear it on my hand, on my arms every day no, so, yeah. so my walk from the car to my work yes. is almost going to be sufficient yes yeah 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 exactly. you wouldn't be getting enough yeah and you wouldn't be able to really like if it's however long five ten minutes you know you're not really going to be able to absorb more than that anyway yeah okay well that's really good yeah. so and then obviously they do talk about so the difference between absorbing it from a tablet form and absorbing it from the sun it's just easier for us to to process it is that the case yes and also you're probably going to be getting more if you take it from a tablet okay so yeah. which then you would just excrete what you don't need anyway is that correct exactly yeah, yeah. and yeah. you can't really over you'd have to take a lot to be able to overdose yes, that's on. right that's right yeah okay yeah. So obviously we joke a bit about, you know, staying out of the sun for good looks, (laughs) but there is a serious side to it too. But in terms of having skin checks, what age should they start? I generally say that from the age of 18, it's good to have someone do a full skin check on you um, so that they can just assess your risk from there. From 18, okay. Yeah, risk factors kind of include things like your skin type. So if you're super pale, you've got, you know, blue blue eyes, you're much more likely to be able to burn. And Mm -hmm. so that's a big risk factor. Mm -hmm. If you've you've got a family history of melanoma or anything like that, that's a big risk factor. And if you've got lots of moles and specifically kind of abnormal, atypical looking moles, then that's another one. So um, I, I always think it's a good idea kind of around that age just to go in, get a baseline check and then um, the doctor will be able to tell you from there how frequently it should be done. So they might say, oh, no, you know, super low risk, only needs to be done every few years. Or on the flip side, they might say, no, you definitely need an annual skin check. Or mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. And in terms of that, should they just go to their GP when they're 18 or should they go to one of the skin cancer clinics, I guess? Sometimes you can just Google them and that's what they do there. I mean, is there a better option for people? Um, look, yeah, look. GP, skin cancer clinic, it's pretty much the same thing, a GP okay. or a skin cancer doctor. Okay. Um, as a dermatologist, we've done a lot more training within just skin. Yeah. Um, GPs know um, a little bit about everything. We yeah. know a lot about the one. The skin. Yeah, correct. Yes, exactly. So, so, you, so they should see a dermatologist, do you think, for that initial, maybe even just to be like... So you guys could then say you're fine to come once every three years. I mean, these yeah. are 18-year-old kids, so I guess... Yeah. Okay. Yeah, 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 I think so. Yeah. That's really cool. And I think, obviously, growing up in Australia, we all understand sun exposure and we all understand melanoma and moles and, and even to an extent, I think even the average person knows kind of what to look for. But can you just sort of talk to us about what a suspicious mole looks like and what they should look for and what is serious? Yeah. Okay, so we... Um, 
we talk about the ABCDEs of changing moles. And so A stands for asymmetry. So if you draw a line down the middle of the lesion, then it doesn't look the same on both sides. B is an irregular border. Um, C is multiple colours. So anything more than two, two or three colours is abnormal. Mm -hmm. um, D is diameter. So anything that's bigger than six millimetres is considered atypical. And then E is evolution or change over time. So if you see a spot that looks different to what it used to look like, mm -hmm. then it should definitely be looked at. Okay. And just on the ABCDEs, is it could just one of the ABCDEs be a sign or is yeah. it generally a, yeah. a combination of them? No, that's a good, good question. Yeah. Yes, can be just one of those. Okay, that's really interesting yeah. to know. So changing topics a little bit, Shreya. Now, Kelly and I have spoken a bit about acne and breakouts already in other episodes, but this is an important topic very close to my heart. To pop or not to pop? So I know, look, we're on two different sides of the table here, Kelly and I. Very different sides. I'm a pimple popper. I'm a pimple popper. I love it. I... No, I shouldn't, but I can't help it. Now, Kelly's very anti-pimple popping. Can Good you just girl. clear this up for us? <laughs> well, please? I'm anti-pimple popping, and I don't even know if this is true, but you know how sometimes you're told things in life, like long before I was a nurse, long before anything, um, before I had my clinic, but a doctor once told me that if you look at a pimple, what you see on the top is also what you see on the bottom, and if you were to squeeze it, what comes out the top goes back through in the skin, like the same amount. Now, I don't even think that's true, <laughs> but that for some reason stuck with me forever. <laughs> <laughs> and so now if anyone if anyone's ever popping a pimple I'm like just think of all the pus that's going into your skin oh. and I, I don't even think it's true oh, but I do know what? it causes trauma to the skin and I do know it's better to let your skin do its thing is that true dermatologist <laughs> come on yes so um yes. no I've not heard of this whole pus going back into the skin um, <laughs> all right I'll stop telling but, you um, <laughs> yeah. generally look it's better to let your skin just do its thing um, that being said, I struggle as well with leaving yeah. pimples alone, especially with all this mask wearing. My skin See? has gone berserk. Um, but, you know, the reason that we say not to do it is because it just causes more inflammation in the skin and then you're more likely to get kind of secondary changes from it, post-inflammatory pigmentation, things like that that, you know, you just want to avoid. Yeah, so, the discoloration um, of the skin that lasts exactly, forever. Sorry, months. yes, sorry. Yeah. I just need to speak in proper, you know, proper terms. <laughs> no, that's okay. I almost understood that. So what you so we could leave a mark we could leave a mark on our skin, what you're saying. Today. Exactly, yeah. So not quite leaving scars behind, although I guess if you're, you know, firm enough, then that could happen. Um, but you know, changes where the skin will go darker um, because there's been inflammation there and that does take months and months to come back to normal. Don't pop pimples, Andy. Oh. But it's so it's so hard. Am I supposed to walk around with a giant like you know eruption waiting to happen on my face for like three days can use a spot treatment so um, my favorite thing to use is something called clindatech solution um, which is a topical antibiotic and you just put it on there twice a day and it just it's just speeds it all up it just reduces the inflammation and helps to speed up um, 
the resolution of that spot. So Sweet. next time you come, I'll give you a script. Well, that probably Ooh, yes, that please. Probably, that probably yes. works very similar to the way in which we have a laser treatment, which is we call it the active acne, but it essentially it's a very low low frequency bit of cryo and it does, it just reduces the inflammation. And we can do it for someone who has a pimple for an event. They come in and the next day it's gone. So same kind of, you know, I guess the inflammation we're trying to deal with, yeah. So if you're somebody that's prone to pimples or just the odd pimple, like my skin's great, but occasionally I just get this one giant random pimple, you can speak to your doctor, whether it's your GP or your dermatologist, and they can give you a script for this. And it's much better than popping. Yes, probably. I feel like... like if you've got something to apply to the area, then it'll make you less likely to pop it, you know, because you're still doing something yes. to it. Yes. Um, but it's actually mm. something good for it then, yeah. I like it. I Keeps like your fingers off. It's true because I, I <laughs> basically, she's told me that I'm right, but she's also given everyone a solution. So that's really good. <laughs> I don't know if she said you were right. She said that she struggled no, she not, said to not to pop, to pop them pimples. Well. <laughs> right, whatever. We'll call it a draw. Oh, we'll take this up so, later. We'll take it up later. <laughs> So the other thing, Shreya, that I'd, I'd like to understand a little more for my for my own benefit as well is the difference between a pimple and milia because I've had these before and so I just want to understand what's the difference, how can we tell the difference, what is milia and can we actually pop those? <laughs> so basically milia are small non-inflamed cysts. So that's the main difference. They're not inflammatory. And they develop on the skin when um, skin cells or keratin get trapped beneath the skin surface. So the main difference is that they last longer, they don't get inflamed, and they're occurring just under the top layer of the skin rather than within the pore like acne does. So, um, yes, so um, they are quite different. In terms of, so you're saying can you pop them? Is that the question? Yeah. yeah. Well, that's that's part that's part of the question. Yeah. <laughs> or do they go away? But do they go away by themselves eventually, or do they always? They tend to not to go away by themselves. Yeah, they'll they'll last um, a long time. So, um, yes. Look, if you if if you're confident to pop them, so and you're not gonna, you basically what you need is a needle to stick into it, and yeah. then. You can, yeah, and so like I, I don't really that. trust people to do that at home. No, no. Let's just let's yeah. just say disclaimer here. Don't yeah. put a needle in your face. Well, can I actually tell you a really funny story just quickly? So we obviously remove milia for people at the clinic, um, and we know how to do it. We've been trained to do it. When I was a teenager, my mum, who is a nurse, and my mum will be listening to this. So hey, mum. <laughs> my mum, who's a nurse, did bring home a needle one day to get one out for me but obviously just being a nurse doesn't make you know how to do it and I still to this day which would be maybe 30 years later have a massive hole in my <gasps> face like, I know which yeah, hole you're referring actually, to. It's this hole. You know the hole I'm, yeah. Oh, so, I've seen oh, it. Oh, it's obvious. I've there is a hole. It. It's, it, you yes. know how to do it. I'm sorry, <laughs> Mama. I love you anyway. It's okay. But... <laughs> But she did go into midwifery, so maybe, you know, they don't have to pop many yeah. in midwifery. Not yeah, they're kind of but, dealing with bigger things there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Shreya, and it is, it is a super simple procedure generally for people, like depending on where it is. I had one on my forehead recently and Shreya did 
put a little needle in and pop it out. And seriously, though, was that the most satisfying thing in the whole world? It is pretty satisfying, <laughs> yes. Yeah, I do understand how Dr. Pimple Popper has become this, you know, massive <gasps> sensation. I know. Because it is, yeah, it's so satisfying being able to do things like that. People get um, big cysts on the scalp as well. They're called oh. pilar cysts. You can get them anywhere on the body. And to be able to basically the whole aim of treating those is that you have to take the whole sack out because if you just oh, – sounds so gross, sorry. <laughs> if you just squeeze it and get all the keratin out but you leave the sack in there, then it's just ah, going to refill. Yes. So the whole oh. aim of treating those is to kind of slice down the middle of them and then get the whole thing out whole. And when you do – it's it's so good. That yeah. would be my satisfying. nurses love it. Oh. I love it. It's re- yeah, yeah, it's oh. really nice. You must, so when you see a patient walk in and they're like traumatized because they've got this giant welt on their head and you're like rubbing your hands together, yeah. Going, yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yes. Okay, so Shreya, I actually haven't met you before this lovely little <laughs> podcast we've done. Although everyone, we did get a good chance to chat because Andy was late once again. Um, good, good 15 Sorry. minutes. <laughs> but I am coming down soon to see Penny, who works with you. So that's exciting. So I will yes. get to meet you in person in a couple of weeks. But obviously, Looking because I hadn't met you prior to this, I stalked you on Instagram, as is standard practice for people. <laughs> um, and it really did warm my heart to see that one of the recent posts that you did was basically the ABCs of skincare. Um, so you're clearly, a, you know, an advocate of active skincare and looking at your face, obviously you're gorgeous, so I can see that you use active skincare. So as a dermatologist, can you please talk us through, uh, I guess, A, what's your favourite active ingredient to recommend because you know that the patient will see results and then what your actual routine yeah. is? Yeah, so... Um, what I, re- I recommend to everyone is vitamin A. Yes. So retinol- <laughs> retinols, retinoids. Um, I always prefer retinoids, which are um, prescription um, mm-hmm. products, um, just because they are more potent than retinols. That being said, um, just because it's the most potent doesn't mean that um, everyone should run to that. Everyone's yep. got, you know, people do have more sensitive skin than yep. others. Um, and so, um, if your skin can only really handle um, an over-the-counter kind of um, topical retinol, mm-hmm. then um, fine, that's good. But if you can, or at try least and it's build a good place up, to start. It's a good place to yeah. start. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, but if you can, um, if you can build yourself up uh, to, um, you know, something like tretinoin. Um, and there are dif- different concentrations of that as mm-hmm. well, um, then you will see results. So, and the kind of satisfying thing is that people, um, when you start using it, you will get a bit of irritation, a bit of dryness, flakiness, and it's nice to see something, you know, as much as we don't want to walk around with flaky faces, yeah. um, it's nice to see that something is actually working, yeah. and your skin does mm-hmm. eventually get used to it, and then... Um, what it's doing is basically increasing your cell turnover mm. so that you're, it's leaving you with fresher skin behind, basically. Yeah. It is, we kind of, everything that we do as doctors is really evidence-based medicine. And um, after sunscreen, the best anti-aging ingredient you can use is a topical vitamin yeah. A. I, so. I agree with that. And I think also when you're prescribing or, or giving someone a retinol and they're worried about that retinol 
they call it a reaction, but I like to call it a response because it's actually a good thing. Yes, of course, you want to balance that kind of uncomfortableness with going about your day-to-day life, but turning cells over is exactly what we're trying to do. So if you can just get through that little uncomfortable part, people are so scared of retinols, but it's, I mean, I couldn't live without mine. Well, it's all about, um, it's all about kind of managing it. So when you first start, I tell people just to use it two to three times Mm. a week, and then you can slowly build up to every night um, and use like a nice moisturizer over the Mm. top. Mm. Yeah, which is exactly how we prescribe it in our clinic. And I think maybe that's the difference, you know, when people are buying these things online or they just sort of, you know, they're not really being prescribed it by someone who's telling them how to use it. Then they run into all these issues because even, you know, we have our standard instructions which might start them at two or three nights a week. But even then we're like, but stay in touch with us because this might even be too fast for you or too or not fast enough for you. You know, some people, everyone's different. So I think when you're just buying it on online and you've got no idea how to use it and they're just whacking it on every night and next minute their face is peeling and they're like, oh, I can't use retinol. So then they're, then they're turned off it for the rest of their life because they think they're allergic to it. And then they'll never get the benefits of it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So adding in a disclaimer not to use when you're pregnant. Oh, of That's course. Or breastfeeding. Yes. Yeah. Mm. So just quickly then, taking it back to skincare, I do really want to know what a dermatologist's morning routine and afternoon, nighttime routine is like. What do you do every day? Mm, I um, I feel like I keep it somewhat simple, mm. um, but I don't know. You tell me. So um, I've got two young kids as well, so I don't have heaps of time. Um, in the mornings, I use a gentle cleanser, um, and I just I don't think you need to spend a lot of money on cleanser. So I use like a Neutrogena Hydro Boost or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, then I use the SkinCeuticals CE Ferulic, um, which is just a really nice product um, with vitamin C, it's one of the more potent vitamin C's mm-hmm. and one of the most stable formulations. Mm-hmm. So, um, I use that in the mornings and then I use, um, the ultraviolet Supreme screen hydrating, um, sunscreen. And then I just put my makeup on after that. So I don't use, um, a separate moisturizer because my sunscreen is hydrating enough. Um, mm-hmm. and so that's it for the mornings. And then at night, I remove my makeup, I then cleanse again, so essentially a double cleanse. And then um, maybe every second night, I use like a polyhydroxy acid toner. Um, so I use the, what's it called, it's called lotion P50 or something. Um, and then every night, I, like I've worked up to use retrieve cream every night, which is the yep. tretinoin. And then I use um, a thicker moisturizer at nighttime. So I kind of tend more towards dry skin. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. I keep it simple and I just like to keep those key ingredients in there. I mean, I always tell my clients, you know, I would never use seven ingredients or seven steps in the morning and ten at night, so I don't expect you to. That's just – it's unrealistic and then no one sticks to it and so they won't see results anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but, yeah, and then I guess um, – with my body as well, do you know, like I, I, saying that I've got dry skin, I have used to have eczema as a child and so I've always, always, always moisturised as soon as I've gotten out of the shower. That's mm-hmm. like, like I feel super dry if I don't do that. So, um, and I find it funny how people feel like they can't do that. They're like, oh, no, that's way too much work. I'm like, really? It is interesting. Really? It is actually. Is yeah. I, I always wanted – well, that's why, I mean, I don't, I, we'll have to get you some KGA body to try, which yes. is my body yes. range that I yes. 
And the step three, which is essentially a moisturizer, so it's a hyaluronic acid, vitamin C based body moisturizer. And oh, I don't, nice. I don't think I could get out of the shower without it these days. And not just because yes. it's my product, oh, because it just. Same. But I developed yeah. it because I was using other things that just weren't active, yes. and I was like, well, why, why don't yeah. we have something that's like active for the body? So well, yeah, we'll yeah, send I you mean, some I've, so you can try. I'm it. the same, Shreya. If I get out, I like to put on my moisturizer when my skin is slightly damp because I feel. Feel like if I let, oh, thank you. <laughs> Actually, a, a dermatologist told me that. <laughs> she had to claim it um, as her own information. <laughs> no, but, no, seriously. Yeah, no, but, though, if I don't do that, because there are some days when I get out the shower and I don't moisturize on purpose because I'm going to pole and I don't want to slide down the pole like a slug. So I don't put my moisturizer on. And the difference is just, yeah, I mean, I could maybe get away with doing that like one shower, but two showers in a row, I actually would start to get like little flares ups of my eczema and things like it's, it's just, it, for me personally, I find that moisturizing, particularly like straight after a shower and the skin's a bit damp, like helps control my eczema. Do you do you find that that's the case with, with yep, eczema and absolutely. dermatitis? Yeah. Moisturizing? So that's what we yeah. that's what we tell people to do. Um, you know, quick cool showers. That's number one. So three to five minute cool showers, soap free wash, or just using like a bar soap under the arms and the groin. Don't need to cover yourself in um, yeah. soap. Um, and then as soon as you get out, just pat yourself dry. Don't rub yourself dry moisturizer all over and that's the same so, yeah. instructions for kids yeah. yes yeah yeah that's right yeah yeah, yeah. so kids I, if they're having yeah. baths you can pop a bath oil in the bath okay so while um so while we're on the topic of eczema I mean I obviously have eczema I'm so I've grown up with it so I understand that you know it's very challenging particularly in children um but in general without going into it in too much detail can you maybe talk us through just quickly, what is eczema? Like, what causes it to flare up? Like, who's most at risk? Like, when would you see people versus when would people see their GP? Um, so, first of all, super, super common inflammatory skin condition. It affects yeah. something like 20 to 30% of kids and up to 10% of adults. So, wow. um, it's definitely got a genetic basis. So um, most people do have a positive family history, either of eczema itself or at least of um, asthma, hay fever, allergies in the family. Um, and their environmental triggers can also play a role as well. Um, I tend to see the patients who have probably more severe disease, um, but also I guess people have been misinformed and are feeling frustrated because they're not using the correct treatment or they're not using it in the right way. Um, so they're kinds of, I, I do see kind of the whole spectrum, but GPs are very good at managing eczema as well. And um, it's kind of more when they're kind of struggling and can't quite, you know, they want to have clear skin, they want to be... Um, you know, feeling comfortable. It's so it's an itchy, awful mm. skin condition. So, yeah. Yeah, mm. yeah and yes. I guess... Um, it is very frustrating. While we're on expert, and I guess even people being misinformed, I think that kind of leads nicely into perioral dermatitis. So this is actually something that I personally see a lot of, and just because I see a lot of it, I kind of really... I actually understand it, and I can pick it a mile away now. But what I find is that GPs actually very often misdiagnose that 
Uh, a lot of the time they think it's eczema, so they'll put them on steroids, which will flare it up and make it a million times worse. I've had other patients where the doctor thought it was just acne, so, you know, has gone sort of topical, sorry, um, taking antibiotics or, you know, if someone even was put on Raracutane for it and things like that, which, yeah, like pretty pretty full on, right? So, yeah. you know, I think... Could you please explain what perioral dermatitis is and what someone could look for if if they've gone to their GP and their GP has sort of said it's something, but it's actually perioral dermatitis, how they might be able to identify that and at least go back and go, oh, are you sure about that? Yeah. Um, so essentially, um, periorificial dermatitis is a facial rash that's um, linked to prolonged potent topical steroid use. So the mainstay of treatment, number one thing is to stop the steroids. Mm, they've just been so prescribed. It, exactly, oh. exactly. Um, so essentially it looks like little red pimply spots around the eyes or the mouth. And um, it often begins as something else which is then treated with the steroids. Then the steroids help clear the rash and then it flares when the steroids are withdrawn. And so then there's this cycle. So um, that kind of... That history is generally the biggest clue of the diagnosis, but also, like you said, clinically, it is pretty common, like pretty obvious when you see it. Yeah, yeah. Um, if you're, if you know what you're looking yeah, for. Yeah, correct. Um, so um, it doesn't even necessarily need to be oral steroid. Uh, sorry, um, topical steroids. It can also be, um, you know, steroid um, eye drops. Um, so you can get it around the yeah. eyes. You can also mm -hmm. get it around the nose from um, nasal sprays and things like that. So um, those are questions that I generally ask when people come in um, just to try and figure out what that trigger is. Mm. So um, like I said, number one is stop the steroids. And then um, but people kind of need to be aware that it's always going to get worse before it gets better. Yeah. So you can either go cold turkey or... Um, I use a combination of um, a compounded cream called tacrolimus mm -hmm. as well as um, often an antibiotic that we use for its anti-inflammatory effects yeah. like doxycycline, minocycline, erythromycin. erythromycin yeah. um, and yeah. then if they have been, because I do quite often just sort of, it's funny, like I mean I live in a small town so it's funny that I know what this is and a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of the doctors just don't. And But they get a bit upset if a nurse has said, go back and tell your doctor it's this. So I kind of, I, I always used to say, I said, look, why don't you just say, I did a little bit of research and I thought it might be this. And I've seen that some people are treated with erythromycin. So what do you think about that? Like I literally word them up like that. And then they come back and they're like, oh, I took the erythromycin. It's all good, you know, which is great. But what about if they're using actives and things like that during that treatment process? Should they stop? What, you know, what's the recommendation there? Stop, yeah. Yeah, yeah. because the skin's irritated, you don't want to further irritate yeah. it. So I would just hold off on any active treatments until the skin's back to normal. Yeah, so just like a gentle cleanser and maybe just something hydrating. Exactly. Yeah, yeah that's yeah, right. Nice. Yes. Yeah. Um, and then I guess another thing that I, I see a lot of but that's misunderstood and Andy's going to laugh because I get to talk about melasma again. Oh, uh, right, your melasma again. My melasma. <laughs> oh. No, but I mean, I see a lot of uh, hormonal issues that relate, that then come through in skin. And in actual fact, I have, and I don't know if this is something you've seen, but I personally have seen maybe three or four clients who have had the Mirena inserted and then 
melasma has gone crazy, whereas I spoke to my actual gynecologist about it and she said, oh, I've never, ever seen that link. And I'm just, I'm not sure if they haven't seen the link because the patient doesn't go back to the gynecologist about their face and so therefore they don't know. Um, so I guess it's pretty misunderstood and, you know, I'd just like to talk about, like, how, well, firstly, how rough hormones, hormones are. Oh, I'm not going to talk about my melasma again. <laughs> Acknowledge how like ter- how much hormones kind of f up our oh. skin, like yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So in all stages you, of life. How do you help your? The patients? thing is, the thing with the Mirena is that it's really weird because it's meant to just be acting locally yeah. at the yeah. cervix. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Like it doesn't really make sense that it does that, but I've definitely You've seen, seen it. it. Yeah. And yes, yeah, and um, and it's yeah, and I just I. I don't quite understand mm. it. Like scientifically, it just doesn't I, really I make... honestly had one patient who her pigment went so... I've never seen anything like it. It just went from clear to... And it wasn't even melasma. It was just brown all over her face. And it was... And we, we battled it for a while. But then I just sort of said, I don't know about you, but do you want to maybe like consider taking the marina out? We, they took it out and within a month it was gone. Isn't Again, that just isn't crazy? That crazy? But I yeah. guess for those who, you know, can't... I mean, even if it's not the Mirena, it's just some sort of oral contraceptive pill or, or whatever they might use. Do you ever address sort of gut health with that and, and sort of look at everything you could? How do you, how do you deal with a patient who's really struggling with pigment or even hormonal stuff like acne, acne pimples that are hormone related? Acne is the main one that I see um, that are hormone mm-hmm. related. And, you know, there are clues that give it away that, um, that it is linked to mm-hmm. the hormones. So, Things like, you know, flares significantly just um, prior to the period. Um, mm. it, they've got other things like irregular or painful periods, trouble with fertility. Um, you know, they've got a family history of polycystic ovaries. Those kinds of things um, tend to be where I investigate a bit further. Mm-hmm. Um, with, in terms of hormones and melasma, I guess it's, known Mm. it's you know Mm. like it's such a common trigger that we you know you ask in the history about um you know are they have they did it flare with pregnancy um are they on the pill marina blah 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 um and so i don't tend to investigate them as much because it's known yeah yeah. if you know what i mean yeah so um yeah so i'll look into it with um, those acne patients and just do their hormone levels and things and like that. And then your sort of um, method of just trying to help, I guess it's hard to treat, but managing either acne and pigmentation that's hormone related, yes. what's your kind of go-to? Um, well, I often get them to see an endocrinologist okay. because um, I think that they need that okay. side of things sorted and there are other medications that can be helpful from that mm-hmm. side of things. Um you know, if their acne is hormone-related, then I'd lean more towards um, using the pill or using a medication called spironolactone, which works with the um, with uh, like against the hormones. Um, look, Riaccutane. If they've got terrible acne, Riaccutane is generally going to be the best option for mm-hmm. them because. Um, even though the hormones are doing their thing, at least you can shut yeah. down the acne yeah. with the Riaccutane. Yeah. And it yeah. generally, they generally need it for a bit longer yeah. than your okay. average person would. Um, but you know it's going to yeah. be effective. And it's so important for, I guess, for young, young girls. All yes, girls. Exactly. All people, you want to like prevent yeah. scarring yeah. and things like that. So yeah. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. 
Okay, so while we're on the topic of maybe women's business, hormones and all of these delightful things, you know, one thing I noticed, Treya, when I was looking at your bio was that one of your special interest areas is female genital dermatology. So Mm -hmm. I guess this is an area where like a lot of women probably don't feel super comfortable talking about it, but, you know, it's skin, so we should. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we don't really think about like, you know, our genital skin unless there's a problem. Um, And maybe sometimes we don't identify it as a skin problem. So Mm -hmm. I thought maybe you could just quickly tell us about, I guess, some of the common things that you treat in terms of female genital dermatology. Um, Because, you know, I know there's a whole bunch of fun stuff that happens as you get older to your skin (laughs) down there. But like, what are the key kind of concerns that I guess women are coming to you for help with? So basically any condition that occurs on the skin, so common skin conditions like eczema, psoriasis, things like that, they can all, they can all occur in the genital area. So um, we can see people who have um, psoriasis just affecting that area um, yes. or um, eczema as well. So they might come in with, you know, feeling itchy down below and it's because they've got something like that. There are also um, skin conditions that have a predilection for genital skin. So um, they're, you know, that you only really see in those areas. They can occur elsewhere, but mostly just in that area. Um, So things uh, like lichen sclerosis, lichen planus. Mm. I see a lot of patients who have chronic candidiasis. Um, Mm. And so they're people who have had multiple episodes of kind of recurrent thrush And then they get this kind of hypersensitivity to um, the candida and um, they require kind of long-term suppressive treatment. So, um, and it's one of those things because it's not very, it's not talked about much, it's not super sexy, um, there's not a lot of recognition um, amongst GPs and, you know. So, um, yeah, so it's one of those things that, I I kind of fell into. Um, yeah. I did a lot of work with Gail Fisher, who um, is a dermatology professor at North Shore, and um, she also many years ago fell into genital dermatology. And um, so that is kind of one of the main things that she does. And just working with her, you know, you realise what an impact you can have on people's lives by helping oh. them um, with issues like this. And so, Because yeah, I, yeah. I guess a yeah. lot of people don't oh, realise that you would go to a dermatologist for that. They'd probably just see a no, gynaecologist exactly. and gynaecologists are not really looking yes. at that, at the skin. No, exactly. Um, yeah. And I, I mean, I guess yeah. you probably, I don't even know if you would know the statistics, but I assume that there's a huge number of women that just don't ever even seek help and just live silently with these issues. No. Yeah? yeah. A lot of patients who come to me, come to me after having had symptoms for years yeah. and years and years. And yeah. And they're like, oh, look, it's just gotten to that point where, you know, I'm, you know, scratching myself mm. to death. I can't sleep. I, you know, mm. can't yeah, have sex. Yeah, intimacy would and, be really effective. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or like, you know, my husband's getting sick of this mm. and can you try and yeah. fix it? And so, yeah. So so awful. Yeah. And I think a lot of the time people would, like you say, because they don't have that confidence or maybe like they're not talking about it or they don't mm. really think, you know, maybe it's normal or maybe it's thrush. Like you say, it could be that they're trying to self-medicate and they're getting Absolutely. thrush treatments oh, yes. and then yeah. that's making it worse or it's not even yeah. helping mm. at all. So I think the main... So I guess would would your message for people who maybe somebody maybe somebody's listening to this and they think oh okay that sounds like something that maybe you know that 
I, I've been struggling with. See mm. your GP. If you're not getting, you know, the response that you, or the support you want from your GP, get a referral to a dermatologist and at yeah. least get an opinion, get a second opinion yeah. about it. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Ah. Don't need to suffer yes, in silence. Yes, girls, get out there. Do it. <laughs> don't, Be brave. don't suffer yeah. in <laughs> silence. Yes. Yeah. I think that that is, an, that is an awesome spot to, I think, start wrapping up now, Shreya. We've covered so much ground and I don't want to take up any more of your yeah. time because well, I know that you've <laughs> no, got to pick your kiddies up fun. now. Yeah. It was so much fun. So before we let you go, we do have this thing that called the Sassy Minute which mm-hmm. is a questions, not necessarily related to skin, but some of them might be, um, where you don't, you don't get a chance to prepare for them. Now, Kelly and I have both okay. had to answer these as well. Um, they're a bit different each time, <laughs> but, hey, why don't we just get into it? Let's. So, All right. First question for you. What is one piece of beauty advice that you've received at any point in your life um, from anyone which you really live by? Oh, um, to be honest, I think it's the whole, um, it's sunscreen. Yeah. It's just to wear sunscreen every day. So, um, you know, it is something that gets drilled into us and, um, certainly drilled into our listeners Even now. though it's, this is every I single episode. <laughs> brown. Yeah, 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 exactly. Even though I'm brown, I still wear, and people are like, oh, you wouldn't need to wear sunscreen. I'm like, mm, but mm. actually, yes. That's why you look so beautiful. Yeah, that's interesting. Is that is that a bit of a misconception that people with like olive skin or different ethnicities with darker skin don't need to wear sunscreen? Yeah, yeah, and they still do. Yeah, yes. So they might not get burned, but they they're gonna get they're gonna get skin sun damage and aging, and potentially you know could be at risk of skin cancer still. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that's a good point to note. Good point to note. Okay, so here's another one. This is this is an interesting one. If you had to throw away every skincare and beauty item in your bathroom except one thing, what's the one thing you would keep? Mm, Concealer. Hey. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> oh, we love concealer. Yeah, We're those bags under my eyes. Yeah. <laughs> Probably, that's probably the genetics, right? So you, you yeah, yeah, you exactly. Get skin, but you also get the dark circles. Yeah. It's yeah. all give and take. Yeah. It's all give and take. I feel like yeah. I get dark circles yeah. as well. What's the deal with that? <laughs> that's just because you got two right. young kids. So, yeah, yeah, I think that's just yeah. I think that's lack of sleep. Although my husband would disagree. He's usually the one that wakes up early. Sorry, James. (laughs) Um, Okay, so quick fire multiple choice. So I'm going to ask you two options and you have to pick which one. And this is assuming you could only have one of these for the rest of your Mm -hmm. life. Okay. Okay, here we go. You ready? Mm -hmm. Deodorant or sunscreen? (laughs) Yes, of course. (laughs) Yes. We're, we're in the sunscreen camp. Don't worry. We'll, we'll all be together. sticky, but we'll be, like, really pretty. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Um, okay. Concealer or conditioner? Concealer. <laughs> you gave that one away. I actually did, had, did, wasn't expecting your previous questions. So yeah. <laughs> okay, you ready? Your nighttime skin routine or your morning skin routine? Probably nighttime. Yeah. Okay. You've got to take it all off at the end of yeah. the day. 
Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And your retinol. Yeah. Oh, here's one that Kelly's added in. I can see this one's a Kelly question. You ready? <laughs> vitamin C or vitamin A? Oh, yeah, vitamin A. Oh, <laughs> yeah. there you go. Yes, it's coming across loud and clear. <laughs> okay. And here's, here's a fun one to end with Botox or dermal filler? Uh, for me, Botox. Yeah. Just, yeah. I reckon everyone. Only because that's the only thing I've had done. So. Oh, <laughs> oh look at the bone yeah. structure there. My God. <laughs> Goodness me. Talk about genetically so, um, blessed. <laughs> maybe I'll um, maybe I'll change my mind down the track. That's what but, we said yeah, the other week. It's the right? only thing. Or maybe when we need to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Shreya, thank you so much for joining us. I've learned so much. It's Thanks been so fascinating. Much. Thank you. It was so nice no, to meet fun. you on here. It's been awesome. Yes, you too. Yeah. Thanks for listening, guys. Thank you. Stay sassy. Love you, face George. More. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>